What I'm saying is, I don't know. Um, I used to always want to be a comedian when I was younger. I just think like it's one of the most gratifying things to make other people laugh, you know. And I think that's one of the drugs that comedians get is making other people laugh is like the most satisfying thing in the world to them. Yeah. There's no other reason, and there's no, there's absolutely no other reason why anybody would want to be a comedian unless you loved making people laugh. Like that was the best thing. Well, I think it, it, a lot of the, it's the same thing that drives actors. It's that need for gratification and attention seeking. It's something in me that wants to be heard. And it's not necessarily, I think the laugh is more of the, more of the result rather than the, the quest. I think the quest is for them to have the right, to generate a reaction they're seeking to get. So sort of just be provocative in general? provocative, I mean, some people want to make you think. Carlin always wanted you to, like, have that moment where he draws you in. Yeah. There's the silence, and then he says the that word. When he hits that, that's where the laugh comes. Yeah. And I think for him, it wasn't just getting the laugh. It was, Probably I want you to be thinking, I want to know that you're thinking, and that I want to say something that's going to hit you in a way that you didn't think about it before. Yeah. Well, he, it's always interesting to see how comedians evolve, you know? Because if you look at Carlin from, his, like, his hippie days. Oh, yeah. Or Richard Pryor before, before like the 80s, mm-hmm. you know, he used to be like in the 60s, I think it was, he was like a white man's comic, right? Yeah. Where he would be like, comes going in, in a front suit, of, super dressed up. Yeah. yeah. He grew up in a brothel and um, he would go to like Vegas and do, yeah, dress up in a suit, perform in front of a bunch of white folks. And then it was like one show, he just got off the stage and just left. Right. And everybody was like, um, everybody was like, uh, what do they call it? outraged but then he reinvented himself and that's that is ultimately like everything right there is if you can reinvent yourself and transition audiences that is like it shows versatility and ultimately in order to show longevity you need to show versatility yeah well i think with uh with prior it's another great example of someone who was having success doing something but it wasn't satisfying to him. That's not what, you know, he, he, that wasn't him. And I think that yeah. the transition that you're talking about is more of him just saying, you know, screw it, I'm going to just do what I want to do. I'm going to actually do the jokes that I want to do and not what I feel like I have to do. Yeah. So I think a lot of it again, goes back to that thing about, the, you know, always to thyself be true. Yeah. Um... You know, and it seems that that's like a reoccurring theme in almost every majorly successful comedian's life. Mm-hmm. The least controversial comedian I can think of is Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, yeah. And before Jerry Seinfeld, I would have said Bill Cosby, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> the comedy's still pretty uh, non-controversial. It's the, it's the person behind it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, this makes me want to delve into another area, but I was already interested in this topic. But the other area I wanted to delve into is, you know, Bill Cosby, I, they say that everybody knew about it ahead of time. But I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, we, whenever there's a scandal or whatever, first of all, we never know everything and everybody wants to assume they know everything. Second of all, um, we only see the tip of the iceberg. So I'm more interested in who around me is a pedophile or a serial killer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like my, my, uh, eighth grade social studies teacher got arrested for child porn and i was like okay i mean i hated that guy mm-hmm. i didn't expect him to be somebody in child porn maybe that's why i hated him so much because he like, in the back of your head yeah like, I don't know about this guy. 
Um, but then it's like, uh, you know, it's like my high school math teacher got arrested for, uh, for having weed and then he just quit his job and he was like our best math teacher or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, I don't know. I guess that's not really that out there because first of all, it seems that everybody smokes weed. It's just that if you get caught smoking weed, right. but he got arrested before, he got arrested before school, before school in the morning. Hi. It's like, what situation, what the fuck was happening, you know? Oh, man. Well, I mean, I, I, I figure it's probably one of those things. I mean, think about any place that you've worked that has customers that come in. So any restaurant, any, uh, any, any true face-to-face customer service. You, have, you know things about your fellow employees that the customers don't. And it, it's all a facade. Like, every waiter you've ever met when they're talking to their customers is the most polite, nice you know, easygoing person, and half of them are assholes that you do not want to talk with outside of that particular thing. So, mm-hmm. I'm saying that no sound was detected. Okay, something happened, but I hope that so they recorded. You know, and one thing I think, you know, the reason why you need to, I think Joe Rogan got so good at making this podcast and now he just has people come on and he just knows in the back of his head what he wants to talk about and you can't force a conversation with somebody that, you know, you don't know what everything about them or anything like that. Well, actually, I actually have to disagree with you there because I think what makes Rogan so great is the skill that he really has is he's an amazing listener and when he gets people on, it's almost always whatever they want to talk about. And that's why I think you see so many times if you listen to his whole... But did you listen to his early ones? Because that's what I was trying to say. Like, you know, people tend to start out where it's a little bit more rambling in the conversation. But Joe Rogan has been doing this podcast like three times a week, every week for the last four years. So I think that inherently, like, you just, you just, it just becomes a part of you, you know, to know what you're trying to create weekly. Well, it's also the difference between having someone on there, like when he had, uh, last week he had the woman that won the Bigfoot 240 or whatever it was, the super ultra marathon thing. Obviously what he wants to talk about with her, what's going to be talked about is what she specializes in, which is that running. But if he has someone like an Ari Shafir, Joey Diaz, or Tom Segura, you know, yeah. that's just going to be, yeah, that's going to be, people sitting down. those are honestly, like they're informative, the ones like Rhonda Patrick and stuff are super informative. <laughs> But the ones where it's him with his, you know, with either acquaintances or friends just sitting down and shooting the shit, that's the best type for me. My favorite Rogan's. Once again, it goes back to that idea of what are you trying to produce? Because, like, I think that when you try and go at it like a regular interview, you know, that's, what diff- that's what's different between Rogan and a lot of regular interviews. Yeah. Is they come in with question one, question two, question three, question mm-hmm. four. Rogan doesn't do that. He might have some ideas, maybe, about, like, I want to hit something on this point. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, it's just whatever pops into his head, which is why he has those times that he always has to apologize if he starts talking about, like, a ketogenic diet, or if he starts talking about using, uh, 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 what do they call it, um, uh, the kettlebells, you know, something like that, then that that takes the conversation back to a familiar tone, but it's because something it's something that he truly, in his personal life, probably references pretty frequently. 
References what? Uh, references frequently, like in a conversation that he might have with anyone. References what, though? What is he referencing? Uh, things like kettlebells, ketogenic diets. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can, you can tell what Joe Rogan's genuine interests are, and you can also tell that when he's having a conversation with somebody who's in a more technical field, or just like, you know, an economist or something like that, mm -hmm. he'll try to find a way to make it relatable, understandable, comprehensible to right. a traditional speaker. And now that you're, you're sort of integrating people that aren't that intellectual, now they're being interested in these intellectual concepts because of the fact that he can bridge the gap. Right, well, and that's the other part, too, is whenever he is talking to someone who's super specialized, He's open about the fact, like, you know, well, I'm an idiot. I don't know any of this. And it's nice because that's the same thing I would have to say. You know, if you have a, a Nobel Prize winning economist that you're talking to, I, I, yeah, sure, I took economics in college, but I took micro and macro, and that's it. That's, you know, <laughs> yeah. years worth of economics. But if you have someone of that level, then half the battle is reminding them what normal folks actually know and don't know. You know, does that make sense? Because to someone who's super specialized, to them, something might seem super simple, and it might be a thing that they've known for decades, but to you or I, it might be yeah. a complete mystery. Yeah, well, I, that's definitely where a lot of people that I have conversations with, if you ever try to engage in a, a discussion about like economics or something like that with somebody who's not like ever read literature in that area or it doesn't stay up to date, they'll often draw these ideas that are just conclusions in their own head, but it's not based off of something they read in the news or, or any past phenomenon. It's just like they're trying to justify and reason in their own mind. So then they come up with these ideas about the way things are. And it's like, well, let's think about it for a minute because there's different perspectives to take. And I feel like you're only taking the perspective that you just developed right now while we're thinking about this in, this, in the middle of this conversation. Right. Or um, worse, they, they do have just the most basic level of information and they take that and try and extrapolate it, and they completely get it wrong. The classic example I can think of is uh, the Romeo and Juliet. Romeo, Romeo, where art thou Romeo? People think that's her saying, like, oh, where is my Romeo? It actually means something totally different. When in the actual text, what it's truly saying is, for God's sake, why did it have to be you? It, you know, it's a completely different meaning. All the world's a stage is another one. People are like, oh, it's the artistic... Endeavor, all the world's a stage. Well, what it's actually saying is that we're all just players in a very big, ongoing thing. You know, it's not its not a celebratory thing at all. It's a sad thing. Uh -huh. Everyone, when it comes down to it, is forced by outside forces to follow uh, their written role. You know, it's completely different meaning, but a lot of people just have this one little tidbit, and they draw from that conclusions that are completely off the mark. So, um... You know, there's two things I was going to say that, you know, that's, you know, I heard there's this quote and I don't remember exactly how it goes, but it's like, in order to know anything, you must first admit, you know, nothing. And it's very difficult to anybody to admit they know nothing. But another thing is also, if you do admit, you know, nothing and you talk to somebody with this sort of curious mindset, asking them questions because I'm not informed or because I don't understand. There are a lot of people also that get the sense of entitlements. Like you don't know. Well, let me tell you, like, you know, um, but, um, yeah, I mean, Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos, this is sort of getting to, I, you know, it's another side note. I, I want to include so many things in the conversation, but at the same time, I want to keep the structure. But one of the things I was going to say is that Jeff Bezos said that 
ultimately what matters when we when we have information rather than forming an opinion or whatever what really matters is the decisions we make based off of the the information that we have so when you know people take this into account when they are um, voting in elections and that's probably the most critical point that I can think of or at least the most apparent and um, you know a lot of you know how many I remember like there have there was a time when I was in college and I was just like you know I've seen so many people share articles saying studies show that this or this or this and it's just telling the people what they want to hear and then saying studies show and then I'll hear about the study and this is what the study says and it's like somebody felt a certain way so then they conducted a study that was a completely subjective and then they drew their own conclusion from it and I was like I typed in on Google because I was like I bet I could find something that supports this which is completely absurd and it was like Studies show that studying drunk is actually better when you perform on a test. And I, I just, I just thought of that at the top of my head. And there was a study, and it was like, it was like, you know, what was it? Like Buzz, Buzzfeed. If you actually take the test drunk, you'll do better than if you study drunk or if you don't take the test drunk, or if you take the test drunk and you study sober. That's one that I'm familiar with, at least. If you're impaired in any way during the study, then you should be impaired during it at that same way during the actual exam. Yeah, but that's still terrible advice. <laughs> I never said it was good advice. Um, I just said it's better than if, like, for example, if you smoke a lot of pot. Okay, well, let me get back to the point. And this is not directly pertaining to what you're saying, but Jeff Bezos had, like, a 1997 shareholder letter. Because that's what the year they had their IPO. They started in 1994. They had their IPO. Who is Jeff Bezos? He's the CEO of Amazon. He started Amazon. Oh, okay. Okay. Which, by the way, he's like... You know, these people don't come to, come to prominence until their company totally dominates the market. But he's like the Steve Jobs living nowadays because you get a company that started in the early 90s, the bookstore transitions all the way to now they're the number one cloud computing company in the world right now by far. And they started off just selling books. Right. Like, that's insane. But um, Jeff Bezos, his 1997 shareholder letter, you always have these CEOs or whatever that delve into topics of personal improvements or just general insights on like people's personal lives. And I think it tra transferred over their employees, but apparently, apparently they re-released this shareholders letter every year because it was, you know, it's, it's a manifesto in their company or whatever, but it's that one of the things that I, I took away from it. Okay. The only thing that I remember reading <laughs> about it, um, was the 60, 40, something like that principle. Well, it's like whenever you're looking to make a decision and you're looking for, 100% of the information because everybody would like to have 100% of the information to make this decision, whether it's buying a stock, buying a home, how you should spend your time. At best, you'll get 60% of the information, even if you can get 100% of the information, even if it's possible and very likely that you in, will inevitably get 100% of the information that you will use to evaluate your decision. By the time you get 100%, the opportunity has passed. It's no longer even relevant. So 60% is good enough. Make a decision based off of 60% of the information that you receive. So, you know, you know, they say the human mind's flaws, limited comprehension. But at the same time, we don't have access to all information at all times. So, yeah. Well, I think also part of that is going to entail that. Do you want to step up? Uh, do you want to get these chairs sit out back? I, no, I'm, I'm not wearing shorts and sweatshirt. I, it was cold out there. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm fine. I just wanted to see if I could bum a cigarette. Oh, me. yeah, we, we, we can step outside for that. But if we need to come back in. But, um, anyways, you know, especially in the world of business, you can have one, you can have all the information you want, but there's still things that you might not be able to count. So you can, you can have 
that are just like everybody knows that it's stupid but people it becomes a fad a trend sort of like harambe was where it's like yeah. you know at first you have the animal rights activists that are outraged and then you have people that don't give a fuck about animal rights and they're still saying like dicks out for harambe or the squatty potty is another example of that where everyone made fun of it and now it's like it's a joke but it's a very well selling joke because it's actually functional too <laughs> this is just kind of a, a separate topic there was one thing I wanted to get back into about economics and sociology, mm -hmm. because, I mean, mm. all right, but I'll return to that. But anyways, there's a song that went uh, viral 